0: Why, hello there. How are you? I, for one, hope you are doing phenomenal. Now, before we get into anything, I have one bit of housekeeping to address. Since the guest for this episode is an actor, I feel that it's important to make it explicitly clear that this episode was recorded prior to the announcement of the SAG AFTRA strike, and we here at Retrospection Connection are in full support of SAG AFTRA and the WGA and their fight for all that they deserve. I'm your host, Jalen. And welcome back to Retrospection Connection, where we take a more critical look back at TV and movies that left their mark on us in a formative moment of our lives. Allow me to serve as your guide as we take a look back at today's chosen piece of media. In a first for Retrospection Connection, I'm joined by a returning guest. You heard me right. My girl Taylor is back and prepared to take us all where no man has gone before. We are discussing the worldwide pop culture institution that is Star Trek specifically Star Trek Voyager, for my super fans out there. I have to be honest, Star Trek as a whole franchise has sort of flown over my radar, no pun intended, for practically all of my life. I just figured it wasn't for me, having always preferred fantasy over science fiction. That being said, as I talked with Taylor about her unlikely connections to the stories and the characters, it's become clear to me that Star Trek is for everyone. In one way or another. If you ask me, its most prominent theme is that of human connection through exploration, whether that be the exploration of the universe, ourselves, or more likely a bit of both. And with that being the case, I think just about anyone stands to gain something after experiencing Star Trek for themselves. I hope you enjoy as we talk about the appeal of long running franchises, making difficult life decisions, and the necessity of forging community in adulthood oh yeah and space of course as usual make sure to follow retrospection connection on instagram at retrospection connection and email me at retrospect connect 2001 at gmail.com with shows that you'd like to hear discussed or if you'd like to be featured yourself enjoy Why, hello there. Now, this is a first for me because I've been introducing new guests onto the show just about every episode, but this is a first. And this young lady has a very special place in my heart for that reason and for many other reasons. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Of course. I can't believe you called me Young Lady. That was funny. I'm older than you.
0: (laughs) You are, in fact, older than me.
1: (laughs) Hi, everyone. It's Taylor. No, what the fuck do I say?
0: You're right. I didn't give you a very good lead in. (laughs) Look, as an adult, I have to take responsibility for that.
1: No, it's Um, okay. Hold on. I'm too excited, so I don't know what to say for the intro. Hi, everyone. It's Taylor again, here to to talk about things.
0: Why, hello, Taylor. I have to tell you, Taylor, (laughs) you are a fan favorite, and I want to take a moment to ask you, how do you feel about that? You are. An extremely local celebrity, which comes with its struggles and its anxieties. So I want to check in with you. How are you feeling with all of this exposure?
1: I don't know. It's all very exciting. It's funny just because I'm just like, I'm just like down. I'm just here to like talk about the things that I love and that you let me talk about.
0: Very excited to have you back because I enjoyed our first conversation about The Nanny. If you haven't listened to that episode, folks, please go check it out. It's a fantastic episode, and I love your energy. I love your passion about the media that you love. And I was like, I need to have it back. And I'm hoping that this teeny-weeny bit of exposure is a preparation for you, because we know that you're going to acting school, and you're going to be extremely successful. And extremely God ready. willing. God willing. He's willing. He, she, they, I truly cannot I say know.
1: However they identify, it's
0: fine. Yeah, I don't want to put any label. It is Pride Month after all when we're recording yes. and I, I cannot put that label on them. Anyways, you've been here before, so I won't ask you the standard, how would you describe your relationship to popular culture question. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's take it in a different direction. Let's be present for a moment. What's a new TV show or movie that you're currently obsessed with and why? Give us just a little bit.
1: Okay, so I just started watching this show. It's not a new show by any means. I think it came out in like 2012, 2014 Hmm. or something. So it's called Out of the Badlands. Hmm. Is it Out of the Badlands or Into the Badlands? Wait, I don't trust myself. She's checking. I was wrong. It's Into the Badlands. I've only seen like a couple episodes. Into the Badlands. It's like a dystopian, futuristic... So it takes place in like a dystopia where there's no guns and Mm. the only form of combat that people have is like intense martial arts and there's like these different factions that are like warring with each other and I'm just getting into it. But it's really interesting. I think it got canceled after like three seasons just because the production value was so extremely high cause there are like elaborate costumes and elaborate sets. I like it, I enjoy it a lot. And I only started watching it because an actress that I like is in it. And that's one way to get me to watch anything is if an actress that I like is in something, I will watch it.
0: Got it, Into the Badlands.
1: Into the Badlands, It's like a a fantasy dystopia thing. I don't even know how to describe it.
0: Well, knowing what I do know now of your taste, that seems very up your alley listeners at home if you're into fantasy dystopia I think you should definitely give this a try
1: I will say I do want to put a little warning out there it is Uh violent it is violent and at first because I didn't go into it fully expecting that amount of violence I was like wow that's a lot of bones breaking that's a lot of blood going everywhere so at first I was like ooh but then I was like or LaBrady is in it. So I'm just gonna like deal with what I have to and I'll get through it.
0: Fair enough. I'm glad that you put that trigger warning out because I am somebody that does not like an excess of gore or violence. Have you ever seen the show, The Boys?
1: No, but Jack Quaid is in Star Trek and that's how I know about it.
0: Got it. Yes, okay, that show extremely entertaining, but oh, so gory. Oh, so bloody. Mm. It's just not my thing. I really tried to get into it in the past. And I will say I did watch like two seasons of The Boys. Two seasons,
1: two whole seasons?
0: Yeah. Well, I was watching it with a friend and it was easier to watch when they were there because we could be like. "Eh, eh." But it got to the point where it was like every 10 seconds was a new thing that was just like, I cannot forget this moment. Like it is just so spontaneous. In some movies or TV shows like you can prepare for the violence Mm -hmm. like you know it's Mm -hmm. coming like oh they're going to war like you know something crazy is going to happen but it'll just be like two people hanging out and then some crazy shit will happen then one of the characters is dead and you're like wow I had no time to mentally condition myself for this (laughs) moment. Anyways speaking of genre specific pieces of media Taylor do you want to tell the audience what we're talking about today?
1: Absolutely, I do. Okay, I'm really just outing myself as the nerdiest, geekiest person. But today, we are talking about Star Trek Voyager, which is my personal favorite Star Trek series in the franchise. And I am thrilled that you're gonna let me talk about it.
0: I am so excited to hear you talk about this show. I have to be honest with the audience, I have never seen an episode or a film within the Star Trek universe prior to preparing for this episode. Really anything that started with the word star, I was like, it's probably not for me. So Star Trek and Star Wars, those two franchises literally were like unknown to me because... I just felt like this was not going to be something that I was able to engage with in any meaningful way. Like I said, it's Pride Month, and I would like to come out as a fledgling Trekkie. I'm doing the hand signal.
1: Live long and prosper, babe.
0: Live long and prosper. This show, as well as the franchise at large, which I would love to discuss with you, Obviously, today we're going to be talking about Star Trek Voyager, which is one of the series within the larger franchise. But the whole scope of Star Trek is so captivating and fascinating. The lore, even just the actors that, that come into the show and, and find their way into one of these series or one of the movies that were theatrically released, that I think is what gets me the most. The story is exciting and engaging. And I love the episodes that you selected for me to watch. And we're going to get into those. But I think I am drawn towards shows and movies, just pieces of media in general that carry with it a really lasting, impactful legacy Mm -hmm. and have a lot of components into it that comprise the whole. We were talking about this during the planning stage for this episode, but another TV show that I love. That I'm obsessed with is Doctor Who mm-hmm. and I part of the reason why I gravitate towards that show so much is because there are like two main iterations of it so there's like the original Doctor Who and then fans coined the new version of the show as new who so as a whole the show has gone on about 40 years or so mm-hmm. and the legacy spans from the 1960s and there was a hiatus in the 90s and early 2000s but it's been going on for a long time. And from what I hear, it's a bit of a institution in the UK, mm-hmm. which I think is so cool. And so getting into Star Trek and having you as my guide, so to speak, into yeah. this world, it was such a treat. And it, it's so cool to be like I'm becoming a part of this larger community that treats this property with such care and respect. So I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this with you.
1: You're already a part of it, (laughs) Jalen. The thing about Star Trek that I love is that I feel like it's easy as an outsider or like someone who doesn't know anything about it to be like, that's intimidating. If I want to like it, I have to have seen every single thing and know all the lore and do everything. And it's like really scary and people are going to get mad at me if I don't. It's not like that at all, which is one of my favorite things about it. You can watch 10 episodes of one series, and if you like it, you're a Star Trek fan. Sorry, but you are. You could watch the original series, which came out in the 60s, and no other Trek, but it doesn't matter. You're a Star Trek fan. You could watch Voyager, which is my favorite, and Deep Space Nine, which is another one that came out in the 90s, and nothing else. You're still a Star Trek fan. You could watch the new Trek. And guess what? You're a Star Trek fan. And what I've experienced within the community is that people don't care. They're just excited that you enjoy the thing that they do. And they'll just talk to you about it. There's like not a lot of judgment. There's not a lot of expectation. It's just pure excitement for this thing and this community that people love. And it's like, from what I've experienced, it's been wildly welcoming and people are just really kind about it. If you don't know the lore, guess what? I'm just going to tell you about it. And then you'll know and it'll be great and it doesn't matter.
0: I'm sure to everybody that is on the modern internet landscape, we're all very aware of stans, super fans, people that go really hard for their particular IP. And Mm -hmm. I have love for people that dedicate a lot of their time and their lives to embracing a movie or a TV show or something like Mm -hmm. that. But it can be so toxic. Like, I hate to be that guy that's like, it's so toxic on the internet. But sometimes it is, guys. Like, it is. it is. And so it's really cool to hear that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: at least from the looks of it, Star Trek fans or Trekkies. Is, is. Am I correct?
1: You know, there's a camp that goes by Trekkies. There's a camp that goes by Trekkers. It's all up to how you identify. I personally am a Trekkie.
0: It feels inherent to me. I'm like, I'm a Trekkie, personally. Like, that's mm-hmm. how I identify. That's how... I want to be addressed moving forward. But I was going to say, it, it seems like everybody's pretty open to embracing new people and accepting their particular interest in the franchise. They're not too critical of why somebody gravitates towards the show. They're only glad to have been there.
1: Yeah. And that's one thing I love. And obviously, no franchise is completely devoid of those people that are really intense and- there, there are those people that exist, but from what I've seen, it skews more in the direction of positivity and acceptance, which I feel like is an inherent idea to Star Trek
0: yes. anyway.
1: Like you can't, in my opinion, don't come from me, but you can't not be an accepting and loving and inclusive person and be a fan of Star Trek. There would have to be some major cognitive dissonance going on in order for that to happen because... At its core, it's rooted in idealism and diversity and inclusion. One of the tenets of Star Trek, one of the like phrases comes from, oh wow, I'm really already sounding so nerdy,
0: <laughs> but it comes it.
1: from the Vulcans, which is one of the alien races within the franchise, which is I-D-I-C, which means Infinite Diversity in Infinite Combinations. And if that's one of the core tenants of the franchise, I feel like you have to be a pretty good person who wants that for our world as well. And I think while there are the people that get mad about certain things and get really passionate about certain things, for the most part, it's a pretty friendly discourse with people that are willing to listen to each other, which I love because for a long time, I didn't fuck with the fandom Mm. I watched Star Trek for two years in a void in a vacuum that was all my own I didn't engage with anything because I was really nervous and then I went to my first Star Trek convention last year in August and every person that I met at the convention was one excited that I was there for the first time and just started asking me questions about what I liked and like why I was there and like who my favorite characters were and what my favorite fan franchise was, they were welcoming and they said like, oh, you can do this. They gave me tips. They were so helpful. And last, they were just like, oh, if you like this, then you should try watching this. And But they weren't like demeaning about me not having watched all of the series Mm -hmm. by any means, which was so nice. Like they were just excited that I was there. Another thing that I love about the franchise is that each series is so different that you can watch what appeals to you Mm -hmm. there's something for everybody which sounds really cheesy but it's really true if you like high camp and cheesy 60s acting like the original series from the 60s that's for you if you like a warm blanket of everything is going to be okay at the end of an episode and nobody fights with each other on the ship then like watch next generation because that's pretty much what happens if you like war and moral ambiguity watch deep space nine if you love a little like cowboy diplomacy trying to like figure it out on your own watch voyager like whatever is your vibe you can watch and while voyager is my favorite and i haven't seen all of them it's just like kind of fun to know that even if i don't watch all of them it doesn't really matter they'll inform my knowledge of the lore and the franchise but it's not like completely necessary you know so i just love that and i love the inclusion of the franchise as a whole
0: i love that we're starting this conversation by acknowledging the relationship between the fans and your experiences with that community and how they engage with you and how you engage with them and the tenets of the show and the franchise as a whole, because that's something that I noticed for sure. Diversity, inclusion, that is a really big part of what makes Star Trek work for me personally. It allows you to imagine a future where people of all sorts of races and creeds and identities, hell, even Mm non-humans can come together and commune and explore and want better for their people and people that are not like them. It's a very open-minded franchise. It makes a lot of sense that this show came about in the 1960s, which was rife with conflict around civil rights and people of different backgrounds trying to fight for their rights and what they are deserving of is just people and so it makes sense and it's so cool that this show came about around that same time. It was monumental in terms of representation for people that were generally not on television. I'm so excited to be talking about this with you if you can tell.
1: Me too as yes, you can also probably tell. <laughs>
0: Well, with that being said, I'm glad that we gave a good encapsulation of what the show can feel like. And so hopefully we're inspiring some folks to take a look at it themselves.
1: I hope, like, I really, like, I feel like Star Trek can come off as really nerdy, but y'all, it's just a show about people and the character development and the characters that you grow to love are what makes it so good. They just happen to be dealing with weird things happening in space. And if sci-fi is not your thing, I totally understand. I get that. But um, if you just like some good characters and like some comfy, cozy 90s era drama, it's pretty good.
0: It is also a little nerdy. You're correct about that. I think nerdy stuff can be cool. Nerdy stuff can be very cool, in fact. So definitely check this show out. We are addressing a specific series within that franchise. So this is Star Trek Voyager. As per usual, before we get into things a little too deep, I want to give context for the listeners that maybe have no reference for this show or the franchise at large just yet. Also take a drink every time I say franchise. Anyways, let's give a basic premise of the show.
1: people are going to get drunk if they do that. (laughs) Yay!
0: We got to do a drunk episode of Retrospection Connection. That's got to happen. Set in the 24th century, when Earth is part of a united federation of planets, it follows the adventures of Starfleet vessel USS Voyager as it attempts to return home to the Alpha Quadrant after being stranded in the Delta Quadrant on the far side of the Milky Way Galaxy. It originally aired from January 16, 1995 to May 23, 2001 on UPN, lasting for 172 episodes over seven seasons. It is the fifth series in the Star Trek franchise. I've just read the premise that was on Wikipedia. (laughs) Do you feel that there is anything that is intrinsic to the core of the show that needs to be said alongside that premise before we move forward?
1: I feel like that covers it pretty well. I will put a little bonus in there. The first female captain within the Star Trek franchise. Now talk about
0: that a little bit because... I'm sure people that have not seen any of the shows mm-hmm. before, they don't know the significance of any of the members of the staff. So what does it mm-hmm. mean to you personally, as, as a viewer of the show, to have seen uh, a female captain leading the ship?
1: Yeah. So for most of the the start of the Star Trek franchise, it was very white male oriented. I mean, it did start in the 60s. So it just happens, even despite its idealism and its um, want for more diversity. Captain Kirk is a white man. It's William Shatner. And then you get into the 80s with Jean-Luc Picard, also a white man. Um, you do get into Deep Space Nine, which makes bounds and strides and has the first black man as the commanding officer and captain at the helm of everything, which is really cool. But then Voyager comes in with the first female captain. It was in the mid-90s, so I feel like that's not something at the time that was super common. I have a different perspective because I didn't start watching the show until three years ago. I'm a baby Trekkie. As hard as I go, I'm only three years old. So for me, seeing a female captain wasn't completely abnormal. I feel like we've seen more strong characters, but even, even now, Janeway who, who is the female captain is an amazing strong female character and to have that within the franchise just goes to show you how much Star Trek as a franchise was trying to be more progressive than different counterparts of the time so even though within the Starfleet Star Trek universe there had been female captains there had been female admirals that were always little side characters. Star Trek Voyager was the first series to feature the arguably main character of the show as a female captain. So that's why it's just pretty cool within the context of the franchise at large. Oh my god, people are going to get so smashed if they drink every time we say the word franchise. <laughs> but anyway, so that's why it's pretty cool It's just even though female characters are still pretty strong female characters within the Starfleet world. Captain Janeway was the first one in the show to be the main main character.
0: I absolutely love that. And we'll perhaps get into specific character analyses later on. But she's a fantastic character. So nuanced and layered. And I like that they presented her as the first female captain, but she was not without faults or levels to her. It was a delight to get to know her better throughout watching certain episodes of the show. Mm -hmm. Now, something that you mentioned leads into this next portion of the conversation that I want to have with you. You mentioned that you're a baby Trekkie. It's been about Mm -hmm. three or so years since you started watching the show Voyager as well as the franchise as a whole. There goes franchise. Tell me about that. What was your experience getting into Star Trek? Why do you think it sat with you so well at that period of your life? This is probably the first show that I've covered on Retrospection Connection where the guest came to appreciate it at a relatively older time in their life Mm -hmm. relative to other folks that come on the show and have grown up with that property. But I'm curious to hear why you think this is still something really important to talk about on a show like Retrospection Connection.
1: Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to get into it a little bit. So it's funny thinking about my like relationship to Star Trek prior to actually watching it because I feel like most people, I'm sure you, I'm sure like somebody who's listening to this will have some sort of relationship to Star Trek prior to being a fan or knowing about it really. Just in the fact that because it's been around since the 60s, we are all like, okay, we kind of know the name Star Trek. We know that it's nerdy. We know the name Spock and Kirk. We know the little hand thing, like everybody does, live long and prosper. Those are all things that integrated themselves into pop culture really easily <laughs> over time. And for me, my first, like, quote unquote, exposure to Trek was through, like, the Big Bang Theory that I did watch when I was younger. It doesn't necessarily paint being into Star Trek as something that's cool or not completely nerdy, only for scientists kind of thing. Like, it is kind of in a negative light. And it's been a while since I've, I've watched Big Bang Theory, so I'm sure I would view it differently now. But as a child, when I was watching that, show specifically i was like oh god i'm i would never these guys are ridiculous for liking star trek and having memorabilia of star trek in their house i say as i look at the shrine that i have to star trek in my home
0: i do want to stop you there for just a moment and we'll, we'll get back into your origin story but that makes me think of something that i've been thinking about a lot and i think i'm going to reference it on a lot of episodes because Maybe we're all thinking about it, and I'm curious to hear mm-hmm. what people's thoughts are. But it reminds me of just that whole thing about, like, cringe and, like, having cringeworthy interests growing up, especially as a teenager, like most of us. I was very critical of not necessarily the things that I liked, but the things that I shared with people that I liked. It was very important to me that I put forward this identity of being cool And I say this as Mm -hmm. somebody that was like super in the book, super nerdy, did not go to parties. So I don't know what I thought being cool was at that time. But like, I feel like Star Trek is a show that if you're very concerned with being seen as a cringe person or having cringe interests, cringe passions, hobbies, etc., you may shy away from because you don't want people Mm -hmm. to see you in that light and i definitely was reminded of that when you were talking about your initial exposure to star trek on big bang theory do you have any thoughts about like having cringe hobbies or interests with somebody that has history in the theater and putting yourself out there probably at ages where it was maybe not as cool to do that like what do you what do you think about all that
1: it's interesting because i feel like There hits a point in like early middle school, like sixth grade to like eighth grade, where suddenly you're socially aware of not just yourself, but other people's perception of you. That changes how you interact with the world. It changes what parts of yourself you're allowing to put forward. It changes the things that you would find interesting which otherwise you might not think about that that much if you weren't so aware of the social implications of what might happen. I also think in that era of us growing up, there was more judgment. I don't know if that's like accurate or if just, that's just my perception, but it seemed that there was more like harsh judgment on the things that were seen as nerdy and like weird. So it's like, I did shy away from those things absolutely. On the last episode where I talked about the nanny, I didn't talk about the nanny with friends when I was watching it because of this notion in my head that people would think that was weird that I was watching the show from the 90s. So I just didn't talk about it. So I think that kind of awareness as a kid and seeing the Big Bang Theory at that same time, seeing how these men who were really into Star Trek were perceived made it so that I wouldn't be into Star Trek for a very long time. I, does that answer your question? <laughs>
0: Completely it does. Okay. And firstly, cool. I think that it's a reflection on how media reinforces certain ideas mm-hmm. Even about other pieces of media. Mm-hmm. Having these men who are clearly portrayed as like kind of fringy niche sorts of people in society being obsessed with Star Trek does something mm-hmm. about the average viewer's perception of Star Trek itself. So I think that that's really fascinating. Also, to your point, as a novice cultural commentator, I definitely think that there is a pendulum that swings in society, depending on that time period, that generation or what have you, where there are some time periods where we're a lot more accepting of quote unquote, cringe mm-hmm. subject matter, where we're open to embracing certain things, whether it be us embracing them or our friends, our family members, people that we just know embracing those sorts of things. And I personally feel like we're in that place now where it's like, oh girl, you love Star Trek? Have at it. I think that is fabulous Mm -hmm. I love that you love it. I may not love it, but I think that's so cool that this is your thing. But when we were growing up, I think the pendulum was swung all the way the other way. So I think you totally have a point. Maybe that was a part of us just being teenagers, but I feel like the internet at large, it was a lot more segmented, but not in an accepting Mm -hmm. sort of way. It was like, okay, you guys stay over there. That is things that you should be kind of embarrassed to appreciate or like, and then we'll have the general internet with stuff that is okay to be popular and accepted.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, Jalen. I totally agree with you saying that the pendulum is swinging in this more accepting era maybe it's just the people that we surround ourselves with I don't know but I feel like there's a lot more like you said like oh you're into Star Trek like go for it there's more oh you're into dun- d d Dungeons and Dragons like yes do that it might be partly our generation of people and like I said the people that we choose to surround ourselves with but there's more curiosity about it now there's more like why do you like dnd I, I don't know anything about that why do you like star trek i don't know anything about that like um at work my office manager so into dnd i know nothing about it it terrifies me like role playing freaks me out a lot i know i'm an actor don't it's it's a weird thing in my brain i know i know so i ask her about it all the time so like the tabletop games where you're like i'm a sorcerer and a warlock or a bard or an artificer I've learned this all from my office manager, Um, but it goes the other way. Like, they'll ask me questions now, and I'll tell them what I know about Star Trek, and like, it becomes this really beautiful, like, swapping of info, and like I said, I don't know how much of that is the pendulum of society swinging towards a more inclusive thing, or if it's generational. I feel like there's something about people that are around our age that are more like, as long as you're not hurting anybody, like, do whatever you want. Like, I don't fucking care. (laughs) You know what I mean? I feel like that's the energy of people that are are in our age group. It's funny, I've met people that are older that are not Star Trek fans. And when they find out I am, they immediately are averse to it. So maybe it's generational. Maybe it's the pendulum swinging in our favor. I don't know, but.
0: I think there's definitely some interplay there. But I think it's a lovely time to sort of come back to your love for Star Trek and how you found it. So talk to us more about like that time period for you. Mm -hmm. Why did it resonate as much as it did?
1: Yes. So I graduated from college in 2020 when the world was a little crazy, you guys.
0: What happened in 2020?
1: I I don't know. It's a a forgettable year. Yeah, I don't don't know. So I graduated. I was living in my apartment and then I moved in with my girlfriend at the time and her parents it wasn't intentional I was supposed to be there for six weeks but a fucking pandemic was happening so I ended up staying there for like a year it was crazy but anyway regardless her family had been watching The Next Generation like re-watching it and I just kind of joined in all of a sudden and was like I didn't stay for all the episodes of Next Generation I had to rewatch it all on my own recently But I would, like, be like, you guys are watching Star Trek? Like, guys, I had the attitude of, like, what? What do you mean you're watching Star Trek? But then slowly at the dinners where we would watch Star Trek, I was like, wait, so, like, what's this character's deal? Like, who's who's this person? Like, what are they (laughs) doing? And I would slowly phase in and out. (laughs) I think I jumped in somewhere around season one of TNG and then would fade in and out until season, like, four. When I was hardcore, I was a Star Trek fan all of a sudden and just got super into it. And it's funny looking back because me and that person are no longer together, which it was amicable, guys, don't worry. But one of the things that I love about that relationship is that it introduced me to Star Trek. And we can talk about this at the end, but Star Trek inherently changed my life. But it's just funny looking back at the start of it because at first, yeah, I was like, ooh, I don't know about this. But then by the end, I was like, what do you mean this is the last episode? I have to know if Picard and Beverly end up together and if Riker and Troy ever get married. And I have to know where Worf is going. I was like full send. I was a Star Trek fan to the point where the last episode happened of Star Trek TNG. And I didn't know that that was the last episode. And I cried when it was over because y'all the last episode of Star Trek TNG so good but then these people that I was living with my ex and her dad started the pilot episode of Voyager and I was livid I was like what do you mean you're starting Voyager I just finished TNG I have to mourn the loss of these characters you can't just introduce these new people to me I was so upset that I did not watch the pilot all the way through of Voyager until late last year, because I left the room when they started Voyager. I fully left the room and was like, I need to be by myself with my feelings for a second, you guys. I can be dramatic sometimes, it's fine.
0: But no, I think we can all relate to that feeling of getting really immersed in a particular world
1: mm -hmm.
0: of a show, falling in love with the characters, falling in love with the lore that that particular show has to offer. And then it's over. You need a moment to just decompress, to come back to reality. I don't get to know more of these stories with these people that I've grown to truly love in an mm-hmm. admittedly parasocial way, but in a legitimate one nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand what you're saying. Something I do want yeah. to touch on. Yeah. So you said you were not ready to embrace voyager Mm -hmm. after falling in love with star trek the next generation which was the second live action iteration Mm -hmm. of the star trek universe tv shows you were not immediately taken with star trek voyager but that is the show that we're talking about so Mm -hmm. let's talk about that heel turn for you where you started to embrace the show and it ended up becoming arguably your favorite within the franchise let's talk about it yeah
1: after having done my little drama queen moment i like came back and was like fine i guess i'll watch it and at first i was very much like who the hell is this captain lady why is her voice like that who are all these people i don't like it and it took me a while to warm up to it but i think by the second or third episode i was totally hooked and i was like okay fine this is my franchise like i'm really into it it's because it's one of the first ones that i did watch like the entire thing all the way through but Putting it in the context of my life is like very important. So Voyager is about the USS Voyager that gets stranded 70,000 light years from the Alpha Quadrant and the Delta Quadrant. They're completely cut off from Starfleet, from the Federation. They are on their own in this new environment and they have to figure out how to maneuver. And what I quickly realized is that there was a global pandemic We weren't allowed to leave our houses. I was living with my ex and her family completely cut off from my support system that I relied on. And yes, there's like text and FaceTime and all these things, but guess what? When you're depressed, you don't necessarily think of that right away. So I felt very isolated in that time. And so having Voyager, I was like, These are my new family members. They quickly became people that I, this sounds silly, but like would hang out with every night. We watched an episode every single night, sometimes multiple, but it was like this ritual, dinner and Star Trek, like that's just what we did. Everybody on that crew became family so quickly. And a lot of what they were dealing with mirrored what I was dealing with, having to navigate this new space that I was in without my regular support system. And so I really think that's the reason why Voyager is my favorite. And Voyager isn't a lot of people's favorites. It's not controversial, but like, it's just not one of the ones that people are like, yes, this is the thing. Like a lot of people admire Captain Janeway, but not the series necessarily as a whole. But for me, that series is just like my home, my comfort series to this day. And I think that's largely in part because I felt isolated just like they were.
0: That was so poignant, and firstly, it allows for us to segue into some of the themes that really stuck with you, and the concepts, aspects of the show that you really like, but I never would have thought about the through lines between the show and where really, I think we can all relate to where you were at, at the onset of the pandemic, having to navigate this new reality with none of the support or the structure that you've Grown comfortable with or used to. And this is also, you were saying, around the time that you had graduated college as well. So there's even more upheaval and that sort of like force to try Mm -hmm. something new and be something different because you have no choice but to. God, that is literally the concept of Star Trek Voyager. This group of people that have to come together despite their differences and despite the fact that. They did not expect to be with each other nearly as long as they ended up being together. Mm-hmm. That is your life that first year of the pandemic, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's a lot of the reason why I related and clung to Janeway a lot. I could see myself in her a lot because this is what I think people sometimes forget this was Janeway's first time being a captain and she immediately got thrown into this crazy situation where she couldn't just go to the admiral next door to help her with something. She had to figure it out herself and I had just graduated from university and was supposed to be figuring out where to go from there in a world that was completely turned upside down. And I know for a fact there are people that are listening to this podcast that had a very similar experience of like, I just graduated during the pandemic, nobody's hiring. I'm supposed to be figuring out my life and starting my life and that's not happening. And so I think I relied on the relation to Way in that way, I was like, girl, you and me, We're just figuring it out. And I think I I definitely saw myself a lot in her. And I think that's one of the reasons why I went from being averse to (laughs) Voyager at the start to quickly becoming like their biggest fan.
0: So there's the character of Janeway that you were able to relate to. And I think you could certainly relate to at least one of the core premises of the show, which is these two factions coming Mm -hmm. together. So There's the Starfleet group, which are ordained by basically the U.S. government <laughs> of the future. Um, yeah. And then you have a group, I believe they're called the Maquis. Is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So the Maquis are sort of like revolutionaries. Is that a correct way to say that? Or how would you describe them?
1: It depends on who you ask. They're recognized by the Federation as a terrorist group. But the Maquis... Backstory kind of comes from Deep Space Nine, which is the franchise that aired right before Voyager. So basically, there was this like treaty that happened between um, the Federation and a planet and race known as the Cardassians. And there were these Federation colonists that kind of lived in this like middle zone between the two. And because of the treaty, the Federation couldn't help the colonists and they were left to kind of fend for themselves and the Maquis, their whole purpose was to come in and try to like stand up for the Federation colonists. Initially, in the first episode, Janeway's mission is to find and bring home this Maquis group. And they both, the Voyager and the Maquis, get thrown into the Delta Quadrant, and they're forced to kind of work together. And one thing that I love is that Janeway's immediately a great captain because she's able to bring these two wildly different crews together. And, like, realistically, she knows, like, okay, if we're on this journey for the next freaking seven years, I'm going to need more people. And she's able to bridge the gap between these two different crews that, at the very beginning and like first couple seasons, there's definitely a lot of headbutting going on. So I think it it really points to the idea of like different people having to work together and being forced to work together and it not exploding in their faces like it sometimes does in reality.
0: And God, can't we all relate to that, especially once the pandemic began, because it's one thing to live with people and live in a community where you're still able to go and do certain things and engage Mm -hmm. with people that you really like and that you really love and go into spaces that you feel extremely comfortable in. It's easier to sort of like then come home and maybe you have a roommate or two and you're cool, but you don't really know each other and it is what it is. Mm -hmm. But then the pandemic really forced a lot of us to be like, okay, so these have quickly become the people that I'm closest to, at least proximity wise. And I have to figure out a way to be okay with that. Hopefully more someday, because I don't know how long this is going to last. I would like to actually like these people. I just, I think it's so poignant what you were saying about the show and why you connected to it, because gosh, this whole ship had to find reasons to like each other and work together. Their lives depended on it. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've talked about the basic premise of the show and- The whole idea of these two different groups of people having to come together and find a way to survive. One of the themes that we both enjoyed discussing as we were watching the show are those sorts of moral and ethical dilemmas that the crew comes upon in the seven years that we get to see them exploring this lesser known quadrant of space, both internally as a staff, they're experiencing all of this strife and not knowing what to do, but also dealing with other groups in space. So I'm interested to know like, where do you see that theme most prevalent in the show and, and why do you think they were able to capture that idea so well?
1: One of the big parts of Star Trek Voyager is that ethical moral and dilemma aspect of it. TNG was kind of like this perfect everybody like made the good decisions nobody fought together Deep Space Nine was just like we're in the middle of a war we're gonna do some shady shit because that's just what happens. Voyager was you're cut off from the enforcer of the rules completely I think the crew as a whole had to make decisions based on survival and What was best for the crew, and sometimes whether that was ethical or not was in debate. Even how they ended up there in the first place was an ethical dilemma that Janeway had to deal with. Where she was like, Okay, are we going to send our crew back to the Alpha Quadrant immediately and have this entire species of aliens die because of that, or are we going to stay here and deal with those consequences and try to give back? in order to save these people. So right off the bat in the very first episode, Janeway has this big, crazy decision to make. And ultimately she decides to save the alien species and her and her crew have to deal with that. And the Maquis crew is pissed about this. A lot of the Starfleet people are too, but I imagine because they're Federation, they're like less vocal about it, but there, it just, it starts off with this like no win situation. So I think it just sets the tone for the series and this is something that comes up specifically for Jane Way's character a lot because she is the captain and because she is the one that has to make those kind of big huge decisions of okay do we do this thing that could help us get a few light years closer to earth but like is going to fuck with another alien species like there's a lot of that decision making going on if if you don't like Jane Way it's probably because of a character called Tuvix which is essentially these, I don't know if I, did I have you watch this episode?
0: I don't think so. I don't
1: think I did. You need to watch this episode, be, and then we should talk about it and have some, some little friendly discourse about it. Because some people do not like Janeway because of this episode, because essentially two of her crew members became merged into one, and she had to make a decision whether or not to let this one person keep living as the merged individual, or separate them again into who they were prior to what caused them to merge. So either way, she's, quote, unquote, killing someone. She's either killing the two people from before or this new individual that they created together. And ultimately, do you want me to tell you? I'm going to say it. I'm sorry. Watch it anyway, because it's really, it's a really riveting watch. But (laughs) ultimately, she decides to bring those two members back and so she's killing this brand new individual but it's like so many like Trek bros are like janeway killed tubic she's a murderer and it's like okay she had a decision to make there were two people at one point and two people that were vital to the crew one of them was an ambassador that helped her deal with all of the new species in the alpha quadrant or delta quadrant i mean and then the other was her security officer who was like the lead tactical man. It was it was her Kobayashi Maru and what that is, Kobayashi Maru within Star Trek is the no-win scenario that all captains going through training have to go through just to see what they'll do in a situation where nobody's going to win no matter how hard you try. And so this was her Kobayashi Maru. Like nobody was going to be happy with what she did. It was just a decision that she had to make. So I think Jane Wei gets a lot of the brunt of, I have to make this intense decision. And what I love about Star Trek is that it takes those decisions head on. It allows the characters to go through this process. And we understand that these characters don't like that they have to make these decisions, but at the end of the day, that's what you have to do. And I think that relates to humans, just us as people a lot like we have decisions that we have to make all the time and maybe they're not as um high stakes as whether or not to kill one person over two other people god i hope nobody that's listening to this has to make that decision because that's rough but For me, it's like the decision of like, okay, do I go to the LA campus or the New York campus? Because one of them is going to cost more money, but one of them is where I really want to be in my life. So we are constantly dealing with those decisions. And so I think it's good to have reflected back to us through this media that even though you have to make a hard decision, we know that there's a process behind it. There's a learning curve behind it. And No decision is going to be 100% flawless and foolproof. And you're just going to have to pick up and deal with the consequences. And that's not always a bad thing. It's just room to grow as a person.
0: I think that that's a really good takeaway from the show that I didn't even fully consider. This whole thing about making decisions and being open to the consequences that will come about because there's always going to be consequences. The hope is that most of them are good if you can help it, but there's always going to be something that comes out of a decision that you make. And a part of being an adult I'm learning is being okay with that and having to accept that. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to make a choice that just by virtue of it being one choice is going to cut off certain options that you would have had if you made another choice and learning to not dwell on that And just embracing the whole idea of like, well, I have to do something. Like, Mm -hmm. I think the worst choice that you can make is not making a choice at all.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so getting comfortable with doing what feels best for you in that moment, or, you know, if you're responsible for other people, doing what's best for the collective, which is oh so hard. And it takes Mm -hmm. a lot of maturity and insight and listening to the people around you and using your discernment to know what you should take from other people and what you should just look inward for. And mm-hmm. this show is a great example of the mental tax that it can take on a person to have to consider all of those different factors and make a decision that is the best for yourself and the best for everyone that's involved. It's hard.
1: Yeah. And I think sticking sticking to your morals when, nobody else is there to enforce that. I guess in a very rudimentary way, we could say that's based around integrity. Mm -hmm. But because, and y'all, I'm going to talk about Janeway a lot because she's my favorite character. I would take a bullet for Janeway in two seconds. As long as she gave me a hug after, I wouldn't even care. She seems like she gives great mom hugs. Don't ask me why, she just does. Anyway. Janeway has to decide what decisions she's going to make that are going to benefit her crew, but not undermine the Starfleet principles and morals that she has. And I'm not saying Starfleet's perfect. It's fucking not. No institution is. However, at its core, it has good intentions. And so the fact that she's like, okay, we're going to stick to Starfleet principles as much as humanly possible, or um, personally possible, because not everybody on the ship is a human. Um, (laughs) But as much as possible, because inherently, they are for our benefit. That's difficult to do. That is a difficult decision for her to make. And I think, oh, God, did I not show you this episode either? Oh, man, you've got some homework to do. So there's an episode, it's a two-parter called Equinox, where they come face-to-face with a ship called the Equinox that also got transported by the caretaker from the Alpha Quadrant, except it was after Voyager. However, they are meeting at the same point, and the reason why that happened is because this other ship, the Equinox, did some shady shit to take light years off of their um, journey home. So they started sacrificing this alien species and using that species energy in their ship, which Janeway was obviously appalled at, but you do kind of see her throughout the episode start to be like, oh God, am I prioritizing my crew? Should I do this? And it leads to conflict between her and the first officer. Because he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I know, I know I'm flirting with something that I shouldn't. But it gets to a point when it's like, we've been here for like five years at that point, I think. And it's just, it's a long, intense process that they're trying to go through. So it also acknowledges that there might be falter there within that moral structure that you've created for yourself. And that's okay, as long as you don't do anything that's going to damage other people or beings. And ultimately, she doesn't, which it's like, we knew our girl wouldn't. Janeway is too good for that. But nobody is safe from that temptation. And often, I think, as humans in our lives, yeah, the shitty way is easier sometimes. But that doesn't mean that we should do it. And I I love that. Star Trek as a whole really just tries to idealize the human existence. However, when we get into the series of Deep Space Nine and Voyager, that ethical like gray area really comes to the forefront and we're able to see that even though, ideally, diversity, inclusion, all those things are great, that doesn't mean that we're immune from having to make these really, really tough calls especially Janeway being cut off from that command structure in the first place.
0: It's so intrinsic to who we are as people to like, have to make those sorts of choices. And that kind of gets to another theme or concept that I want to discuss with you. You can get caught up in the lore of the show. And we're talking about Mm -hmm. aliens, spaceships and planets and the spatial atmosphere, etc., And it can get very heady and cerebral, and that's fun for me. I truly enjoy that, and I think you do mm-hmm. too. But one thing that really grabs me about this show and the franchise is that all of that is used as a backdrop to tell, at the end of the day, very sincere, earnest human stories down to earth, no pun intended. <laughs> And that's what I think is the true gift of the show. If you were to ask me personally, is that you can have all of this above your head lore, but it's so applicable to every single person's life living in modern society. We all understand the sort of pressure that Janeway might've been under uh, when she has to make decisions on behalf of her whole ship. We all understand how diversity is great but it also can bring conflict at times. And how do we navigate that? We all know what that's like on some level. So I want to hear from you. How do you think sci-fi as a genre, both at large and in Star Trek in particular, use that that formula to tell human stories?
1: I love that you're bringing this up because it's one of my favorite things about Trek as a whole. It's, Wacky, it's crazy, it's weird. But at the end of the day, it's so relatable when you take a step back. And I think sci fi is such a good medium to do that through because the wackier and crazier you can make it, the easier it is for a person, a human being watching it, to separate themselves. So it's easier to show different injustices in this fantastical world. And have somebody be like, Ooh, that's wrong, what's happening. But then to flip it and be like, Oh, but that reminds me of this that's happening in the real world. And Ooh, maybe I should do this. And just it gets you thinking about things, but it allows you to separate yourself enough so that you don't feel like attacked by it. Cause sometimes there's like, there's like media out there that it's like, trying to make a political comment or statement or, like, a social issue, like, address a social issue, and it's really easy for somebody to be like, I feel attacked right now, I'm gonna fully check out, but when you're dealing with Klingons and Cardassians and the Vadians, like, you're not necessarily thinking, like, putting yourself in the bad guy's shoe, you know, but often, I hate to break it to the people, but humans aren't always the good guy right now. (laughs) Like there's different factions of people that are doing really awful things. But I think when you see it in a sci fi way, it kind of yeah just allows you to separate yourself enough from it to like learn a lesson. I don't know, I'm really sensitive to that. Because when I went to college, I studied arts activism a little bit. And that was a big thing was like, you're not trying to like, hit people over the head with a brick about like doing right or wrong or like, doing this, but you can do it in a way that's like an allegory so that people can make those connections on their own. One thing that I love about Star Trek, it doesn't assume that the audience is stupid. It assumes the audience is smart because there's a lot of shows out there and even like kids shows do this and kids aren't stupid. Kids pick up on social things. And I think kids shows need to be really a little bit better because You don't have to hit even children over the head with this complex idea. They're going to be able to put it together. And so I think Trek and sci-fi at large does a good job of commenting on things, but not making it so obvious that that's what it's commenting on. Like, I had you watch an episode called Counterpoint, which is such a good episode. It's so good. The pitch for the episode was uh, the Holocaust in space. Pretty much, so Janeway and her crew are hiding telepaths because they're going through an area of space where the primary species that's kind of in charge doesn't like telepaths, and they're like gonna execute all of the telepaths. And Janeway just has telepaths on her crew already, like she has Vulcans, which are telepaths, and Betazoids that are telepaths. She starts to like harbor and like hide the species of telepaths that the other ones are hunting and it just it presents this whole situation where you can you can really see that and you can see like oh hey this is really wrong why would you hunt a telepath but if you're a person who has some prejudice ideals you might see that and be like wait a second but this is how I feel about this group of people maybe that's wrong and I think that's always the goal even like there's an episode called scientific method where the crew starts to randomly like get really sick or not feel good. Janeway has really bad headaches and can't sleep. And there's all this stuff happening. And they realize that there's a species that are like making themselves invisible and conducting experiments on the crew of Voyager. And that's why everybody's all of a sudden really sick. And that's a perfect parallel to marginalized individuals in the past that have gotten experimented on against their will. And we reap the benefits from that. Like, dude, the inception of birth control was because they experimented on sterilization with people of color, like women of color. Like, that's how birth control exists. And we reap the benefits of that. And so it's like sci-fi took this crazy concept of what if invisible people were experimenting on the crew of Voyager, and they're like that's not right but it's like humans do that to other humans humans do that to animals and so it just it really it concretizes these crazy complex ideas in a way that's more digestible because nobody wants to be like oh i'm benefiting from things that happen to other people that that is what happens right now and so i think sci-fi is the perfect way to really just be able to separate yourself from that thing that was a really long tangent i hope that made sense
0: (laughs) you have a very amazing way of wrapping things together and putting a bow on everything and I also really like what you said about there being a fine line between talking to your audience and talking at your audience a creator that's not understanding of that can go a little bit too far and Mm -hmm. talk at their audience which is at worst condescending because it implies Mm -hmm. that your audience won't appreciate or understand what you're trying to say, what message you're trying to deliver. And so, yeah, I also definitely commend Star Trek for treating its audience as the intelligent people that they are and not in a pretentious sort of way, but just acknowledging that like, the average person is educated and we understand Mm -hmm. what certain symbols might mean, certain themes might imply about who we are as a society. Like, we get it. <laughs> and I like mm-hmm. that they sort of cut to the chase and thrust us into these stories that we can decipher on our own.
1: Yeah. And the other thing that I love about Star Trek is that, folks, it's not always like that. It's not always trying, trying to teach me a moral lesson. Sometimes it gets weird. It gets outrageous. It gets a little campy. See our last episode if you want to know what camp is? Like it gets it goes there. It goes there. There are some episodes that are widely recognized as like bad episodes that I'm like, I'm fucking obsessed with it because it's just so fun. It gives us the really deep, profound, intense, ethical issues. But then it also gives us like wizard babies. And you're just like, what the fuck? But I love it all so much.
0: It gives you a good balance. It knows how to rein it in and give some more fun, lighthearted stories when it needs to. And it also knows when to be timely and relevant to the current moment. Mm -hmm. And there are several instances in the show that I can recall where they sort of rip from the headlines and address an issue that's happening in that moment, which was, you know, the mid-90s, early 2000s -hmm. when the show premiered. But I'll say, you know, with that Counterpoint episode that you had me watch and that you discussed a little bit about a few minutes ago, that sort of stuff of like refugees being targeted and discriminated against and threatened, that is happening right now. I'm Mm -hmm. sure some of my listeners know that way more intimately than I could even imagine. And Mm -hmm. so first, it goes out to folks that are in situations like that or people that know of people that are in situations like that but it's a testament to how poignant the show can be and the franchise Mm -hmm. as a whole its viewers are better off for having experienced it through that medium
1: i couldn't agree more
0: all right so as we're winding down i want to ask you a question that i've asked you in the past in reference to another show the nanny and i'm Interested to hear your answer to this because I feel like community and kinship is such a core aspect of this show because Mm -hmm. the group of characters quite literally had no choice but to rely on each other and care for each other and build relationships with one another to ensure their survival. So I'm interested in whether this show has been a source of community for you. How has it been integrated into your life and into maybe any relationships that you've had tell me more about that
1: yes immediately yes i think one of the more fascinating things about star trek at large is the intercharacter dynamics and the relationships that we see play out on the screen and i personally obviously love the voyager character dynamics because like you said they are forced to kind of create this little community And I love the development of those relationships over time. You know, you see Janeway and Chakotay really get close. And do they belong together? Yes, but they don't end up together in the series. We're just not going to talk about it. But you just see those two captains of wildly different ships because Chakotay was Maquis, Janeway Federation come together and really just develop this close friendship. You see Tom and Harry just really get close they've got the best like buddy relationship ever even after Tom marries Belana, but also we get to see Tom and Belana live their life and get married and it's a very realistic representation of a relationship that develops over time which I know a lot of people can relate to the Tom and Bellana love story you also see Janeway and Seven really butt heads a lot throughout the series but ultimately Janeway is her mentor And later on in Star Trek Picard, you see Seven act in a ship in a very similar way to the way that Janeway does, which I love so much because you really see the impact that's long lasting that this crew has on each other. And I just love all of the character dynamics that are showing us that we're allowed to disagree with the people that we love and still have great conversations with them and still show respect for them. Like I said earlier, I I initially watched Star Trek in a void, in a little personal vacuum. I didn't want anything to do with the franchise because of that intimidation. But going to the first Star Trek convention really kind of shifted all of that for me because of the people I met. But not just because of the people, the fans that I met, the actors themselves were among the kindest people that I've ever met in my entire life. Like they always say like, don't meet your heroes unless your heroes are Star Trek actors because they are so genuine, especially the ones that have been in the franchise for over 30 years. They're like, we've we've been around the rodeo, but they still enjoy like meeting all these people. So I actually met Garrett Wong, the, the guy who plays Unson Harry Kim. And when he found out that it was my first convention ever he like lost it and was so excited and then he found out that I had only watched Voyager the year prior and he was like wait you just watched it like that's so cool isn't Janeway the best character and like best female representation like can you imagine being a little girl watching this show like he was excited about the female representation that Janeway brings he was like I have a podcast with Robert Duncan McNeil who plays Tom Perry's where we just watched the show. And so I really got into to that part of the community and got to have like really cool conversations with people that enjoy this thing that I love. But meeting the actors was just great because it shows you that that kind of acceptance and inclusion doesn't stop at the fan base. It permeates the cast. And I don't know what to say about production because obviously I haven't really met people in production. I know that in the 90s, production was what it was. But now, especially when fans are becoming the creators of the thing that they love for the most part, it's really inclusive. There's always exceptions out there, but for the most part, I feel like Star Trek has changed the way that I want to interact with my friends. I'm more willing to have an open discourse with people and disagree with people. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I do not like confrontation, I do not like disagreeing with people, I am a recovering pleasure to have in class, I don't necessarily like (laughs) discourse where I don't agree with people, but Star Trek as a whole has made me okay with that, because you see that play on screen all the time, Chakotay doesn't always agree with Janeway, Um, she sure as hell doesn't always agree with Seven. Tom and Harry don't always agree with each other. and But that doesn't mean that they care about each other any less or they all of a sudden aren't friends. And so I think that's a really good example to set and something that has affected the way that I interact with people. I just love this franchise so much because it's just it's changed the course of my life. I wouldn't be an actor if it wasn't for Star Trek. I was going to quit and I didn't because I saw an interview with Kate Mulgrew where she was just talking about acting. And I was like, shit, I guess I got to be an actor still. It's, it's truly the biggest community that I can think of where people just want other people to thrive. It has changed my life intrinsically. It gives people a world to look towards that isn't this dystopia where everything is awful. It puts hope in humans. And I've always said that I believe humans are like inherently good at their core and that there's just all these things that are messing with that. And I think Star Trek just says, I think we're going to be okay.
0: I, I love what you said towards the end, especially. There could be a future that is promising and hopeful and includes more than just the people that we typically see and hear from. It could be as expansive as we want it to be, but it takes determination. It takes community. It takes listening to one another. It takes a willingness to understand things that we don't yet understand. It's a tall order, especially in certain instances. But I think that's a lovely sentiment to leave this portion of the episode on. It's worth it. And I love that Star Trek, and especially Star Trek Voyager, shows us what that could look like. And so I thank you for exposing me to this fantastic show this fantastic franchise, and I am so excited to continue to dive deeper into it. And I hope that this inspires even just one person to take a look at this show, get past what you might think is cringeworthy, unappealing, or weird about it, and just give it a go and see what you might come to enjoy.
1: And to that, I say, lean into it, lean into the camp. You'll fall in love with these characters and they'll just happen to be in space. At the
0: same time. Just happen to be in space. Yeah, and the, sometimes you there. really do forget. So I hope you enjoy. And once again, thank you, Taylor. Thank
1: you, Taylor.
0: Now stay tuned because we are heading right into Ad Break. Welcome to Ad Break, the segment where I ask my guests more questions. Not unlike the interview, but also different. So are you ready, Taylor? <laughs> Always. Okay. Question one. How would you say your taste in media has evolved over time? And do you see any through lines between your current taste and that of your younger self?
1: Yes. Okay. I think my taste has gotten... It's gone through waves. When I was a really young kid, I loved anything fantasy and fantastical. I later on like high school era like leaned into like dramatic and then now I'm I love obviously sci-fi and as well as like nostalgia based things and I'll give you some more concrete things because there's a through line I am a sucker for a good franchise this world has been established or there's multiple iterations or like whatever so like when I was really young harry potter all about it i'm a hufflepuff what about it
0: i know i'm a ravenclaw i was like oh i'm a i'm not i'm not a hufflepuff i'm sorry you
1: know i was a ravenclaw and then i did some really deep intense emotional work on myself and i think my true self came out and i'm a a hufflepuff and it makes so much more sense
0: you're like a hufflepuff sun and then like maybe a ravenclaw moon like you have some layers
1: a ravenclaw rising yeah i don't know um but that was like when I was a kid it was like Harry Potter and then as I entered like middle school I was like Doctor Who intensely into Doctor Who okay high school early high school to mid high school law and order special victims unit right It's just, it's always been this intense, like, franchise with a whole entire world behind it. Later high school, early college, American horror story. Like, all of that. And then after college, now we're at Star Trek. And I really just think that, like, while each of those are, like, inherently different, the through line is I love an established world that I get to explore.
0: I think that's where we align one million percent. (laughs) Because it's like, I think within both of us there's a desire to explore, which seems intrinsic to Star Trek, of course.
1: (laughs) It all comes back to Trek for me.
0: (laughs) Yes, within both of us, like I was saying, we want to explore. And the possibility of knowing more and more about these worlds that we've become obsessed with when we're watching these shows, is addictive. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to know what is the history between these groups of people that are warring with each other? What is the nuance behind this relationship between these two characters? And the possibility of being able to explore that and go back 10 seasons and see exactly what you were thinking about realized in a storyline. That is so cool. And it's something that you really only get with such long-standing franchises, so I completely understand what you mean by that. All right, one more question:
1: mm-hmm.
0: How would you describe the show that is your life? Is it a comedy, a drama, a docu-series? If you can, try to give me a synopsis for what that show would be described as to the potential audience.
1: Hmm. Okay, I think it is a dark comedy, for sure, just because I can't take anything too seriously. Shit, this is hard. The (laughs) synopsis. One day, I'm going to interview you, Jalen, and you're going to have to answer all the questions.
0: I'm anticipating that anxiously.
1: The synopsis. Down and out young actress from a traumatic upbringing finally starts to have good things happen to her and doesn't know what to do about it
0: oh oh i would that's love
1: a synopsis
0: <laughs> no i think that's a really fun synopsis because it gives you a lot of room to grow as the character being taylor learns to accept that Good things are happening and to roll with those things, because I can certainly relate to that. I think a lot of us can, like getting used to things just being okay or just bad. And so, like, when good things happen in succession, you're just like waiting for the shoe to drop. You're like, I'm like, okay, okay,
1: okay, I know this apartment's really nice, but when is it gonna get set on fire? (laughs) Like, like when I'm like waiting for everything to go. Like, I know I got into acting school, but when are they going to call me and tell me that they made a mistake? (laughs) Like I'm just waiting.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess that's a huge part of life, right? We know that life is always ebbing and flowing and there are going to be periods where everything is going right. And there are periods where it feels like everything is going wrong. We know that these phases are coming and that it's gonna be nuanced the way that we experience things. But when things are happening that are good, it's important to try to embrace those things and don't just rush through them or close your eyes while it's happening so that you can brace for the bad things that are coming. I feel like we're really good at living in those less than good moments Mm -hmm. because we're used to them, but I'm certainly trying to learn how to live in those good moments too. And bask in those. And I I really see a good moment coming for you, Taylor. And so that's why I'm maybe called (laughs) to say this to you. There's good coming, and it's already been coming. Live in that, dude. Okay.
1: Live like Janeway in Fairhaven.
0: We do not have time (laughs) to give context for that. (laughs) But Janeway was very happy in in that. Very happy
1: in Fairhaven. That's all anybody needs to know. And we should all be present and in the moment. Amen it to scary? that.
0: God, it's scary, but it's so worth it if you give yourself the opportunity to do so. Well, once again, Taylor, thank you for gracing us with your presence. And we look forward to having you on so many more times.
1: Thank you, Jalen. This was this was so much fun. I'm so glad you just let me talk about this for as long as we did.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Bye.